Capturing the world. Hey, what's going on, y'all? This is David Carmichael II. And before we get into our new episode, I want to tell you about my brand, Capture the World. Capture the World is a black-owned streetwear brand from Hampton, Virginia. Capture the World represents the young generation of creatives around the world. Next up are Millennials and Generation Z. What is a creative? A creative can be described as an individual that sees the world differently from everyone else. A creative can be looked at as a leader or a person that influences people with their gifts and talents. A creative uses their gift from God, not for money and fame, but for the greater good of the world. A creative thinks outside of the box and brings innovation in the world. Anyone from the young generation can be considered creative and capture the world, but those people that are ambitious, passionate, and have perseverance are the only ones that can bring their gifts and talents into fruition and capture the world. Are you a creative? Do you want to capture the world? Capture World Apparel plans to provide the highest quality, high fashion, and give a unique look. You can visit our website at www.captureTheWorldApparel.com. The world is yours. Capture it. This episode was recorded on August 26, 2020. Hope you enjoy. What's going on, y'all? This is your host, David Carmichael II, and this is episode 52 of the Caption World Podcast. I appreciate all of my listeners, all of our Spotify listeners, all of our Apple Podcast listeners, and YouTube listeners. Um, I thank you for continuing the route with the show, and I have another guest on the show, a great special guest. Um, her name is Kimberly Moreau. Um, she is an uh, accomplished educator author and a speaker worth knowing about um she's also has been in the school system for about 20 years uh being a principal and i want to introduce uh kimberly moreau how you doing today kimberly hello i'm good thank you thank you for having me on no doubt i thank you for being part of the show um you know you're the first um of your kind, you know, as far as the guests on my show, as far as being an educator, I haven't really had an educator on my show before, so this is the first time, and I'm very excited to talk about, you know, what you do for a living and what, you know, what have you done in the in the past as well. Um, so yeah, let's just go ahead and get into it. Uh, I, I saw that you were raised in Los Angeles, and um, you was raised in Los Angeles, and you went to Morris Brown College. Um, how, how do you, you know, describe your life growing up in Los Angeles in California? Oh wow, it's 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 interesting. I I grew up at a time period. I grew up in the seventies. Mm-hmm. Okay. In in the seventies and the eighties, when um, we didn't have helicopter parents, and that's that was at a time period when our folks told us to go outside and play, and we went outside and spent the entire day playing. Um, and only came in when it was time, you know, for dinner. Um, but I, I pretty much had a, um, regular childhood mm-hmm. when, you know, grew up with my parents, um, still married and, and siblings in the house. And so, um, I would really characterize it as a pretty normal childhood for the seventies and eighties. 
um, not, nothing, you know, nothing out of the ordinary uh-huh. until until 1987. But up until that point, we were pretty normal, regular family. Gotcha, gotcha. So, um, so like, what made you want to? You know, I, I've seen that you did. You know, you've been 20 years of teaching. Um, what made you, you know, want to want to get into that? Um, so actually, all when I was growing up back in the day, I would always play school with my with my siblings and with my neighbors across the street. Mm-hmm. And um, so I always wanted to be a teacher. I loved learning. I loved teaching others. Um, so for me, even though I kind of had some obstacles along the way and they were kind of self-made obstacles. I, I made, I created these obstacles and made them for myself, but right. um, <laughs> um, that was kind of, that was something I always wanted to do. So, you know, even though it was some twists and turns along the way, I was so happy when I actually graduated, got my master's degree in 19, 96 a year after my 10 year high school reunion so i was pretty pretty excited to be um starting my career what was it 11 years after i graduated high school so okay cool cool yeah yeah so um were you just involved in high school like were you just a teacher in high school or did you like do middle school and elementary school as well or where did you teach? Say that one, so that one more time. I, I'm uh, sorry. Um, so like, were you just a high school teacher um, when you first started or did you do like middle school and, um, you know, uh, elementary school too? No, I was a high school teacher. So I taught high school for 13 years. Um, and then I went into administration and in administration, that's when I started, um, working with all grade levels. I was a principal of a K through 12. Gotcha, gotcha. So, yeah, so, yeah. So, when you get into administration, like, how, what are, like, the steps it takes for you to become, you know, go from a teacher, you know, to a principal? Like, what what steps did you have to take to, to get to that certain level? So, it's another level of um, schooling and accreditation that you have to go through. So, I think my program, I, I think my credentialing program, I think it took me about two years because I was doing it in addition to working full time. So, it's not like you quit work and then you go work on your administrative credential. Mm-hmm. You're working while you're doing that. So, it takes a little bit, it takes a little bit longer. So, it took about two years for me to get my administrative credential, which meant I have to, I had to do some volunteer hours um, in administration um, with my principal. I would go into the office and, and be his assistant. Um, so, but I, for me, it, it just was a natural fit within my leadership capabilities. I was, I was a department chair. I was over um, so many different um, programs at my school that my principal just said, listen, you really need to go into administration. You're already doing administrative duties. So you might as well um, get paid for it. And and so for me, it was just a natural next step um, after teaching. Okay. Okay. So 
Um, I know you, you know you was raised in Los Angeles. Uh, was like the schools you were in? Was that was that still in the L.A. area or uh, yeah, where exactly where they LAUSD. I'm I'm a product of the Los Angeles Unified School District. I went to I went to schools in LA from K through twelve. Okay, cool, cool. So like, um, what were what was the hard part of being a principal? Like, did you have like to suspend kids and stuff like that, or like, uh, did you have the authority to do all that stuff? Like, what was like the hard things about being a principal? You know what the hardest thing about being a principal is you're having to. Um, to juggle the needs of your staff, the parents, and the district um, officials, because, you know, a principal is really middle management. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, you, you know, the parents wanted certain things that I wanted to make sure I, I was working with the parents. And then the staff would want certain things that maybe their needs and the parents' needs didn't necessarily line up. So I have to try to um, try to work out a compromise between my staff and my parents. And then I had the district who, you know, they were like, look, your teachers need to be doing X, Y, and Z, or the parents can't have this. But I was, I had to try to, you know, buffer between all of those entities. So that, that could be pretty stressful. Um, But, you know, I try to make it work because in, in everything, I was trying to do what was right and the best thing for the students. So even though these were, the parents were saying they needed this, they were saying that on behalf of their students and the teachers were trying to work on behalf of the students. And so, but just trying to make sure that everybody's needs were being met. That's a hard position to be in. So that's, that's a little difficult. Yeah. I can see that because, you know, people, like you say, the parents might want something, from you as a principal and the teachers might want something from you. And those two things might be different between the parents and the, the um, teachers. So it's like, you know, if you give what the parents want, the teachers might be like, well, what about what we want? So I guess it's just a balance of just trying to provide, you know, just do the best you can to provide the best results for both parties. Yes. Um, yes. Yes. And just making sure everything lined up with what was the in the best interest of the students. Right. Yeah, definitely that as well. Definitely that. And, you know, lead it on to that. I, uh, I see that you you have a book um, called Eight Pearls of Wisdom. And from what I, I've seen about it, it's, 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 it's like advice for parents as far as the importance of education among their kids. Um, can you kind of provide a little more detail on that? Yes. Yeah, so really, I, I call it my um, my peek behind the curtain, because um, as a, as a principal in education, there really were a lot of things that I would want to advise parents to do, but I also had to serve what was in the best interest of my district as well. So some things I may want to tell the parents, but that wouldn't necessarily be something that the district would want them to have that particular information because then they would be on the hook for paying for it. (laughs) So this particular book, I I call it, it's like um, when Dorothy from the Wizard of Oz goes and peeks behind the curtain and finds out all about the, all about Oz. Mm -hmm. So it's the parents peek behind the curtain. And so I'm really just trying to give them, um, give them some, some benefits of, 
you know, the information that I learned throughout my many years of being in as a classroom teacher and as an administrator of what they can do to advocate for their child. And then there are some other things about really um, empowering their children um, to make sure that their children um, feel supported and that they feel like whatever dreams that they have, they can um, make them come true. Um, but one of my biggest takeaways or one of the biggest takeaways I hope people um, come away from the book is in the first chapter I talk about it's, it's never too early to, um, it's never too early to plan. Um, because I would have parents, I was a high school teacher for, for, for a while, and then I was a high school administrator for a while. And I would have parents come to me their child's freshman year of high school and say, what can I do to prepare my child for college? Mm -hmm. And I would always not say this out loud to them in, in a particular way, but I would basically say to them, yeah, that's something you should have been doing in elementary school. Right. And, and, and here's why I say this, that a lot of, for a lot of parents, um, they tend to believe that you start preparing for college or career. Um, once the kid gets the child gets to high school and then the teachers will start working with them. But in reality, um, it, everything is so competitive now that really as parents, we can start um, guiding them in the direction of college and career very early on, very early on. And it doesn't have to be as far as, oh, okay, I'm going to send them to these SAT prep classes. No, I just mean by exposing them to all of the various careers that are out there. And this is something that regardless of how much money you have, everybody can do this. You know, it's free to go to the library. Mm -hmm. It's free now, right now with COVID, I understand it's a little tricky trying to go to the library and get on the internet. But um, once all of this passes, it'll be free to go to the library. It'll be free to take virtual field trips. And some parents will say, I don't have the money to do those things. But a lot of things are free. It's free to go to the park and look at the different things at the park and then talk about the different careers that, um, that you know, that people that work in a park or work in a museum or work at the zoo, all of the different careers that go in to that one place. So there are just a lot of things as parents, they can start doing while the child is, is young, as opposed to waiting for them to get to high school. So that's one of my um, biggest things that I'm, I'm the most proud of and the most passionate about in my book. No doubt. And um, to add on to what you just said, you know, it seemed like, you know, parents or when it comes to preparing kids for college, it's always that, oh, well, I might not have enough money to start a college fund for my kid. And that's what it always seems like. That's like, OK, when you speak about preparing your kids for college, the first thing, you know, we might say is. You know, I don't have enough money to, you know, to put money aside for my kids' college fund. But the thing you just said, the other things you just said can add on. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't always have to be about money, you know, just providing, I guess, the education. Just, you know, for them to make their own decision on what they want to do in life. Like, knowing what they want to do 
maybe ahead of time, you know, and um, in college might not always be the answer. It's different. You know, you got trade schools, you got different options as well. But I guess as a parent, do your best to give them as many options and as they, you know, as they can, different options to look at. So about time they get to high school, they might they might have an idea of what they want to do already. And they exactly. can better prepare yourself for that for that um for that goal or that career. Exactly. Exactly. And 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 that is irregardless of as a parent, we may think, well, I don't think my child will be able to do that. But if we keep all of their options open, um we they may discover something within that same feel that they may be able to do but because we didn't shut the door oh well he can't be a doctor you know he he's not going to be able to do that but because we left the medical field open there are so many other careers within the medical field they may not be a doctor but because you're learning you're teaching them and you're exposing them to all these other careers within the medical field they might end up wanting to be something else in the same field, but maybe not a doctor. And, and that's the thing that I want parents to, to understand, that it's really about exposure and, and letting them see all these different things. And again, you don't have to be rich. Get on a computer and do virtual tours. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you can't afford to go there in person, you see, like you said, you got virtual tours. It might not be the exact same, but, you know, it's, it's still stuff out there for you to do to kind of, get over not get over but like get around what you can't do at the moment you know exactly. what i mean exactly 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 and i think and if you don't mind i i think especially now with covid19 a lot of parents are realizing that there are other ways um virtual field trips are a big huge thing right now and those are things that i used to do with my students all the time we would take virtual field trips to Washington, D.C., um, Minnesota, because there are different museums I wanted to take them to, but I couldn't I couldn't afford to take the class. And so we would do a virtual field trip. So I, I think right now with the pandemic, there are some positive things that are coming out that parents are um, learning. There are other ways to do things and not just having to physically go there. Yeah, that's facts. I definitely agree with that. And speaking of COVID, um, my question about that is, you know, it's been a lot of, um, you know, stuff going on with kids going back, going back to school. And I know I live here in Virginia. I don't have any kids myself, but I know people that do have kids and, you know, they're struggling to figure out what should they do. And even the school board don't even know what's the best option. But I think for right now, they're saying, um, in Virginia, I live in Hampton, Virginia, and they're saying like the first nine weeks, they're going to have them do online schooling. Um, just overall, how do you feel about that? And what do you think is the best option to kind of, you know, still educate these kids, but, you know, be safe during the COVID-19 pandemic? That, you know what? That's a tough one. I know um, it is. <laughs> obviously, to be, to be safe, you know, you the online learning is the safest thing. But one of the issues that I'm having with the online learning, so um, one of the things that I've done since 
all of this is I've created a homeschool um, homeschool um, teaching support business. So it's it's you know it's, most people will say oh it's a tutoring service. Not really a tutor. I'm a teacher um, or academic coach. But so what I do is I come out with to to the parents' homes and I help them help their children navigate through this distance learning. Mm-hmm. So one of the issues that I'm seeing is that the teachers are assigning all of this work as though school is still in and as though they can actually sit individually with the student and help them through this. Um, And as though everyone's Wi-Fi is always going to be working properly. And so the students that I work with right now and they all happen to be boys. They all happen to be African-American males. And they're young. The, um, the oldest one is in ninth grade. And they are having issues with, I don't, I don't understand how to submit this. I don't understand what they're asking me. I don't understand how to get to this. And I'm looking at the amount of work that they're giving them. And this is only the second week of school for us. Mm-hmm. And it really, I feel as an educator, there should have been a little bit more of a segue into this for the kids and for the parents. And so the parents I work for, they hired me because they were struggling when the um, school went to virtual learning last year. And so they didn't want to struggle again this year. So they brought me on board to, to assist them. And so just the sheer volume of work that they're having to do, um, and they're still trying to navigate the whole online learning. So I, I feel like that's kind of, you know, that's problematic. But in the, you know, in the interest of safety, of course, they should definitely do the online learning. But I would also say modify some of it. Yeah, I, I mean. You know, definitely modify some of it and, and, and not make it so... Um, you know, it's a lot of it's a lot of work. And one of the parents said to me, she said, "This is a lot of work that I have to do because the parents that I'm working for, they're still working." That's what I'm saying. They are still working, and the parent I I work for, I'm, I mean, my time ended with their their um, children at 4 p.m. and then I went to work with another um, child, and then at 7:30 they were calling me because he still needed some help. And so she said to me, she said, I don't think these teachers understand that we parents, we're still working and they're giving them the assignments, but we're the ones having to do the teaching. Um, so while they're, you know, they're doing the lectures on, um, on Zoom, but if the student didn't understand the lecture, it's like some students don't. So, you know, and so it's, it's a little, it's, there, it's, it's problematic. It's problematic. I would just like to see teachers um, modify assignments a little bit more and, and really, um, you know, try, I don't know, try to help, help the parents with the process because the parents are struggling. Um, and I'm, these parents have, have been saying they're fortunate to be able to hire someone not all parents are in a position to hire someone to help them. Right. So. Yeah. It's yeah, and and it's and the sad part is 
it's really going to take its toll on our black and brown students, you know, on Most our definitely. students that are already behind in the achievement gap, who are already struggling before all of this COVID hit. And now it, they're even, they're even going to be further behind. So I don't know if I answered your question because I really don't have an answer to it. You know? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, really, I don't I, really think I, it's I'm an answer for real. I can with the parents that I'm, trying to work with and i think that's what everybody's trying to do is do the best they can yeah like i don't think it's even a uh correct answer to that it's like nobody you know especially if it's something that you've never seen before and everybody's dealing with this at the same exact time you don't have anything to look back on or how somebody else had you know what i'm saying so it's like right. everybody's just winging it and it's like you can't really say you can't really say what's correct and what's not correct because this is the first time this has been done ever. So it's like everybody is it's like trial and error. Let's, let's see if this works first. And if it's not, we've got to change it up. And if it does work, maybe we can keep going, doing it how it is. But it's just, it's, it's real crazy. And one thing I can add on to that is, you know, like when it comes, when it comes to online stuff, it seems like, you know, they do give more work when you do online classes, especially you know, like I, I went to college and I took a couple of online classes and, you know, when you're not doing like an actual in-person lecture, when you're doing an online class, it seems like they give you more work to make up for not, you know, being part of a lecture. So it's like, you know, I understand that you kind of got to kind of get the ball rolling a little faster when you're doing online stuff. But at mm-hmm. the same time, it's like you don't want to, you know, bombard them with of work and it kind of seems like it's busy work you know what i'm saying it's like you know it seems like you know some sometimes the curriculum is just based off tests like lecture to test lecture tests but it's like is there a way that the the curriculum for schools should change to kind of help students learn like i seem like it seems like everything is based off tests like learn this take a test to see if you know learn this and then take a test like, is that what it's all about, or is there a way we should teach students better in the future when it comes to education, or what do you think about that? Um, there absolutely is a way, and a lot, and and not all schools are doing with you know, not all schools are doing. Okay, learn the information, take a test. Unfortunately, more are doing it than you know than others that are not. But um, one of the things that I am a huge proponent of, and I just did a workshop over the summer and and I did a presentation on it is project-based learning. And there are schools in the United States and in more schools overseas that actually implement project-based learning as the full school curriculum. And so basically project-based learning is not that project that you may have done when you were in high school or elementary school where you do a poster board and you make it look really pretty and you um, hang it up on the teacher's wall. Right, right. <laughs> I remember those. Project-based learning. project-based learning is actually taking a question. So I'll give you an example. Um, right now with everything going on with the social injustice, a lot of project-based learning activities are centered around um, how to use your voice, mm-hmm. how to stand up for yourself, and so the students would research different times in history where people use their voices. They would research different groups 
that um, are are making a difference in changing um, or in social justice. Um, they would also interview people who were a part of these social justice movements, and they would work together as a team. Um, Project-based learning also teaches um, skills that you actually use in the workplace. So the whole thing of reading a chapter and taking a test, that's not really a skill that we use in our workplace. We use skills where we have to collaborate with team members. We use skills where we have to communicate in writing and orally. We use skills where we have to critically think. So these are skills that are used in project-based learning. And like I said, there are, there are some schools and some school districts that this is the way they implement their curriculum. Um, but unfortunately, it's something that it takes a preparation. And so, um, it's, it's a transition period and people really need to buy into it. And not everybody has um, fully bought into or fully understand it. So you don't see it on a wide scale in all schools, but it definitely is something that um, many schools should be doing project-based learning. Really many schools should be doing it. Yeah, that does sound like a good idea because it's people that they might you know, they might can comprehend um, the lecture and the information that they're receiving, but, you know, some people are not good test takers and some people get anxiety from taking tests. Yes. You yes. know, you might, you might know it like right before you take it. And then once the, the paper lands on your, on your desk, you just have a, a blank moment. Like, Oh my God, I just can't remember none of this stuff. It's like, you know, it's a lot of pressure, man. I, I've been through it too. Like, you know, going to school and, especially like learning math and, you know, having to learn these formulas and then you study the night before and then you think you know it, but you have, you're so nervous and so anxious to take the test and then you just go blank and it's like, oh my God, what what's going on? You know, so yeah, that, that does sound like a good idea. It should be more of that implemented into the school systems because yes. it seems like it's, it's the same great, formula. It's a great website out there, PBO Works. Okay. I think it's PBL works. I don't know if it's .com or .org, but basically if you type in project-based learning, um, it'll direct you to this website. It's free. You can join for free. You can get access to projects. So you're not having to create, you know, think of projects on your own. It's an excellent resource for any teachers that, you know, want to implement it. And right now in the time period that we're in, it's a great teaching tool. It's a great teaching tool because the students can still collaborate and work together as a group. Just the same way they're getting together and, and working via Zoom, they could also get together and work via Zoom on, on a project-based lesson. So if, if you have any teachers that are out there, I would really highly encourage them to check out project-based, um, I think it's called PBO Works, and, and just look and see it, some of the topics. And you can do this with grades as early as kindergarten. Cool, cool. Yeah, any um parents with kids, I mean, any parents, you know, please take a look at that, that website that Kimberly just provided. Um, and my next question is in regards to parents and teachers. Um, what do you think, how can the relationship between parents and teachers be better? And I'm saying that because I know people that there are teachers and, you know, their experience of being teachers and dealing with kids 
And, you know, some of these kids might be coming from, you know, broken homes, broken families, or just, you know, having busy parents and they might work two jobs and they can't really provide the support for the kids in regards to their education. And that can take a toll on the teachers because, you know, they're just trying to do their job and, you know, teach these kids. But, you know, you might have a kid that's coming from a, a messed up situation and they're not going to be able to focus in school and that makes it hard for the teacher to to teach and the school and the student acts up the teacher can't really do anything too crazy or the teacher might get in trouble so like as a whole like what do you think are some solutions to that or to make it easier for both parties parents and teachers you know the the best thing or, or the best advice it worked for me in all the years as a as a teacher um, and as an administrator, it's just, it's building relationships, mm-hmm. building relationships from day one. Um, when I was a principal, I would, I would encourage my teachers, do not wait until the student does something bad to contact the parent. Don't wait until back to school night to meet the parent. Mm-hmm. And then the parent doesn't show up and then you're upset. Call the parents as soon as you get that phone list and introduce yourself and start building that relationship with the parents. Um, And a lot of times what I found was because I wasn't calling when something went wrong and I was calling to say, hey, this this was a favorite call of mine. Hey, I had a chance to meet your daughter today. Thank you so much for sharing her with me. Um, And and a parent be sitting on the phone going, Okay. And I was like, Oh, I really liked their energy. I really liked her. You know, I would find something positive about every student that I met on the first day. Um, or I would say, Oh, I could tell that, um, he has a, he has a sense of humor, you know, something like that. But, and the parent would drop their guard and start telling me things. Okay. Well, if they act up, will you make sure you call me or, you know, something like that. But it's because I didn't wait until something bad happened, you know, to introduce myself. And I never came across as I know everything. I'm the teacher. It was, you know, I'm so glad to get to know your child. Anything, anything you think I need to know? Um, And just inviting, you know, inviting them to share information. But relationship building, that's the big thing. And I would tell my, I would tell parents, you know, we have to be um, together on this. Otherwise, we don't want them to do us the way a child does the mom and dad. Go ask mom. Mom gives you the wrong answer or gives you the answer you don't want to hear. So you go ask dad. We're together on this. And so students figure out really quick, okay, they can't play. (laughs) They can't play (laughs) the teacher against the parent. Um, Right, right. So just building relationships early with the parents. And so that's, that's my, that's the biggest advice. And it's the easiest thing to do. Let me take that back. It's not (laughs) easy. It's not easy if you're in high school to make 180 phone calls. Yeah, that can't can't take some time though. Right. That is not easy. (laughs) And I, I will not sit here and say it's easy. That is not easy. When I, when I taught high school, I would be there for hours after school. And then I would do it during my prep. But sometimes you, if you put in the work up front, you put all that work in on the front end, 
then on the back end, you don't have to worry about all those things. So I, I would, I would rather do that. I would spend time making a lot of phone calls at the beginning and the kids would come back the next day and say, did she call your house? She called my house. Oh, my mother said she was so happy. They would be so excited to know that the teacher called their house, spoke to their parent and said nice things about them. Yeah, no doubt. And that, that probably make you make them want to, you know, if it's, if it is some kids that do are known to act up, you know, they might, you know, want to be, you know, be, be reluctant to want to act up now because of what you already said about them. So they want to hold up that reputation of whatever you said about them. Like, okay, I don't want her to, I don't want to prove her wrong that I'm not what she just said I was. So I'm going to go ahead and just be good or keep, keep, keep up what I am doing. Right. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And, and and then another thing is it's you know I always would tell my staff this remember we're smarter than them we've we ha- we're smarter than them one because we have a lot more years of experience so sometimes you just gotta outsmart them and so I would always tell the parents and I will help them there's no reason they should fail my class just have them come to me for help I will tutor them I will help after school and so when it's students start you know they're not getting a good grade um they would say well miss brock says she would help you better go in there and get some help from her right (laughs) (laughs) no that's right yeah so so i would do that yes 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 (laughs) okay okay so um you know i don't want to run short of time but i know my, my next question is you know in regards to what you just said about the um the teachers having to take a step above their normal, I guess their comfort zone to be a better teacher, to um, provide better assistance to the parents and to help the parents along the way. Um, what do you think about teachers getting paid more? I know that that's always been like a, a conversation that we've been having for years and years and years of, of teaching. Um, do you think, I know it's different from state to state, but do you think overall teachers should get paid more based on what they have to do? Or is it just this is what comes with the job and this is what you want to do type thing? You got to accept it. But what do you think on that? Um, well, I say absolutely 100% teachers should get paid more. And here's the thing. This is what we learned, especially right now, again, with, with all this COVID. And what is revealed is the government can figure out ways to pay for things when they have to or when they want to. So they were able to pull trillions of dollars to pay, you know, to, to supplement people's incomes or to supplement the um, unemployment and unemployment is paid by the state, but the federal government was able to supplement that. So they could do the same thing with teacher salaries. Yes, it does go by the state, but the federal government could supplement teacher salaries. And it should not be based on, um, if, if your test scores are high, you know, as teachers, we, we do a lot of work and you have to think of it this way. Every profession, every profession from doctors to attorneys to rocket scientists, astronauts, every profession had a teacher to yes, teach them. That's facts. Yeah. We teach everybody everyone but i'm not necessarily going to come in contact with an astronaut i won't necessarily 
come in contact with a rocket scientist. But every one of those professions have and will come in contact with the teacher. So no, no doubt. Pay, pay us what we're worth. Yeah. Pay us what we're worth. And and if if the um the salary were increased, you would more than likely, you know, there are some of us that are extremely gifted at our jobs, very gifted at our jobs, regardless of the salary. But then also you would open up the door to other gifted people who a salary is a concern and they're choosing not to come into the teaching profession and they're choosing to go into other professions that pay a lot more money. So no you would definitely see more people um, with a gift for, for teaching who would come into this profession if the salary were competitive. So no, and I and I don't believe in in that. Well, when you knew the salary was low and you chose a job, yeah, I chose a job because I love what I do, and I love the students that I work with. But it doesn't mean that I shouldn't get paid what I'm worth, yeah. and it doesn't mean that all these other teachers who are out here making lesson plans, working through the summer, preparing for the fall, it doesn't mean that they shouldn't be paid what they're worth. We should definitely be paid what we're worth, and we know. After all of this has happened, we know that if the federal government wanted to support the states, they could absolutely do it if they wanted to. Yeah, I can agree. And it, like, yeah, like a um, a teacher, man. Like after you leave work, you shoot. You got work to do when you get home. Like, cause you know, I had like I said, I know people that um, there are teachers, and you know, one of my uh, ex girlfriends was a teacher, and she will always tell me. You know, oh yeah, work was crazy. Now I gotta come home and do my lesson plan. She'd be up until after midnight preparing the lesson plan. Then she had to get up, you know, four hours, five hours later to come to work and teach and do it all over again. I'm like, man, I don't see how you do it. So I, I could, com- I commend all teachers for what they do, and I definitely agree with you know for them getting paid more because that's a that's a demanding job. Like when you you know, if you when you can't leave work and go home and just chill, and you gotta you still you have work when you get home, it's like that's a twenty four hour job, and that can be exhausting on you. So, yeah, I definitely agree with that, man. It's, it's crazy. I can imagine. And, and and you know, one of the things that um that is is a real annoyance I know to a lot of teachers, and it's it and to me too is when people will say, oh, well, it must be nice you get off at 2 o'clock or you get off at 3 o'clock. Oh, do I get off at 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock? Because I can swear I was here until 8 o'clock last night doing my work. I know, that's right, exactly. Um, And even and like you said, and even when we get home, we're still working. And then if we have children, not only are we working on our schoolwork, but then we're helping our children with their schoolwork. <laughs> right, um, it never ends. For many years, my children spent a better part of their young lives on the school campus where I worked. I would pick them up from school, bring them to my school, help them with their homework, and then finish grading my papers and, and start playing the lesson. I would bring their dinner to school with me so then I could feed them while I was at work, and then we would all go home, usually around 7, so then they have the time to, you know, take their bath and get ready for school the next day. So, man, 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 man. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I Like I said, I agree with, with you know, paying them more, man. I, I, I definitely do a lot. Y'all are very critical to the 
like you said, like you might, every teacher might not teach an astronaut or rocket science, but it's teachers that have come in contact with them and everybody, you know, like y'all are responsible for all the people that are doing great things now. It's like, you know, it's like that, that, that student came from somewhere and they might've had a teacher that inspired them to do what they do now. So it's like, you can't just not say teachers don't deserve what they're, you know, what they want, you know? So, um, I definitely agree with you on that. And, um, yeah, to wrap it up, I guess I got one more question and I just thank you for all the information you've been providing me so far, man. It's been a great conversation. Um, this is the Caption the World podcast. And so this is a question I ask every guest. And it's a very broad question, but just answer the best way you can. Um, how do you plan to capture the world? How do I plan to capture the world? Honestly, one student at a time. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, one student at a time, because for every student that I touch, they touch many more people. Um, and so that's really, I just, you know, I just try to make a difference in the lives of the students that I have access to, and then pray that they make a difference in the lives of other people. So I don't know if that's the answer to your question, but that's, no, that's great. It's, it's however you want to do it. Yeah, it's however you want to do it. However you want to capture the world. You know, that's what it takes for you. That's that's great. Like I said, once through that at a time, and like I said, it's, it's a domino effect. If you if you just influence a couple of people, and they and then those people influence more people, it's a domino effect. That's what it's all about. At the end of the day, influence as many people as you can, and then hopefully they will do the same thing that you did for them, just like that. Yes, yes. Most definitely. Well, Kimberly, man, I, I thank you again um, for being part of this podcast. Like I said, um, I've been, I learned a lot of information from you and just had, you know, I already have respect for teachers, but, you know, I've been, I've been able to gain a lot more respect for what y'all do. And especially during this time, you know, trying to teach kids during this COVID pandemic and, you know, just praying that things get better and, you know, kids can go back to school like they normally did. And um, yeah. just praying that it can get better. And, you know, like I said, I commend all, all teachers around the country, all around the world for doing what they do. So keep doing what you do. And I thank you for you and everyone else. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And this is your host, David Carmichael II. And this is um, our guest, Kimberly, Kimberly Moreau. This is episode 52 of the Caption World Podcast. Thank you to all of our Spotify listeners. Apple Podcast listeners and YouTube listeners, um, y'all been great. Please leave a review. Please subscribe. Please pass the word on about the show. And we'll see you on the next episode. You have a good one. Peace. Good night.